1: Hello Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle podcast on a Tuesday, I had to think about what day it was, but it is a Tuesday, a lot of crazy stuff going on, we're going to talk about uscfootball.com, beat writer and columnist Dan Weber today, all about what's going on with the coaching staff and going on the program, you guys have a lot of questions, so we're going to try to get to all of those, if you have questions for us, the best way is to email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, if you want to leave us a voicemail, a couple different ways. Pick up your telephone. Call 641-715-3900, extension eight one six six four six. Hit the pound side, leave a voicemail there, or go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page. You can leave us a voicemail right from your computer, your device. However you're trying to get a hold of us, you can do that. If you want to subscribe on iTunes, leave us a, a rating. That would be great. iTunes.com slash peristylepodcast. It was nice. iTunes was nice enough to give us our own URL, on iTunes because our podcast has grown over the years. So, iTunes.com slash Peristyle Podcast. And let's bring in Dan Weber. What's up, Dan? How are you doing?
2: Doing good. Doing good. Uh, Trying to stay up with, uh, you know, USC. uh, Something happens every day. Something you can tie uh, USC into just about anything that's going on from the national championship game to the coaches' convention to, you know, Coach is coming, coach is going, uh, a lot of recruiting coming up, I guess, when we get started again at the, on the weekend. And, uh, there's
1: just news, news, news. News, news. LA, NFL news, all kinds of crazy news kind of going on. And but we'll, we'll jump into all of it. I wanted to thank our sponsor, Michael Moline Real Estate. So if you're here in Southern California and you need real estate help, you can go to MichaelMolineRealestate.com and, uh, he's a true in Beverly Hills, or you can give him a call at 310 310- Two seven five four six eight eight. He can help you out with all of your real estate needs here in Southern California. He's been nice enough to sponsor the show. We see him in the in the press box for the games. Which now it's depressing, Dad. No more uh, no more games for like two hundred and thirty days or something like that. College football. It's hard to believe it's gone now.
2: Well, uh, at least we can take last night's game in Alabama to the next game. So uh, yes. you know that's uh, that's the one good thing. I mean, I, you know. I read a lot of posts from people who are just sound, goodness gracious, scared to death. Oh, my goodness. And you think, wait a minute. Was I not watching Clemson put up 40 points? Clemson with a bunch of, you know, beat-up little guys put up 40 points on Alabama? I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, it was a great game. But did Alabama look like, you know, the greatest team that that's ever, ever played uh, that we were – you know, told was going to happen. No, uh, goodness gracious, I mean, come on guys, uh, buckle up, buckle it up and, and, and it's going to be a great way for USC to open. It's a great way for USC to prepare for the next eight months. I don't think you could ask for a better situation than opening next year against an Alabama team with a whole lot of new players. I think that can't work any better than that.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. So, yeah, a lot of talk about that. um, And a lot of talk, Dan, and we'll start with this before we get into the questions, about who's going to be roaming the sidelines for USC, not player-wise, but coach-wise as far as when USC takes on Alabama at Jerry World to start the 2016 season, part of a huge opening weekend uh, for college football. So we finally got the Clancy Pendergast announcement that you know, we've known about for at least a week, um, and it, it kind of happened real quick. I mean, it, didn't ha- it did not happen real quick. But the Peter Sermon thing happened extremely quick where he's leaving to be the defensive coordinator at Mississippi State. Uh, what's your take on the latest, you know, the, the coaching situation and where USC goes from here? There's still some spots open.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's no surprise that Clancy uh, takes the job over the weekend officially. And um, right now, that all three uh, assistant coaching spots under him, D-line, D-backs, and linebackers, are kind of open. I and mean, we say kind of open because, uh, the lone holdover from the, uh, Steve Sarkeesian era, uh, Johnny Nansen has the ability to, to, you know, flip over to defense. But, uh, but I don't think it's, it's a big surprise that, that Clancy is going to have some ability now, a lot of ability, you know, to fill those slots. And I don't think it's all that big a surprise. I think this is kind of part of the plan. And, uh, I think, we had a feeling that Tui was going to be gone, uh, and turns out, you know, he was to so UCLA. And we had a feeling that uh, uh, Peter Sermon, if the right job came along, he would not be uh, encouraged necessarily to stay. I just think it's a chance to get things going and, uh, you know, kind of start all over again on defense with Clancy and, and, and his own team. Uh, so. Uh, but, darn, I mean, I think this, that one happened quickly. Uh, we knew Peter was, you know, interviewing at different places. I think Utah State, uh, had come along and Oregon. But, uh, uh, I, I really heard from somebody at the coaches convention yesterday that they were, Mississippi State was looking for his cell phone so they could track him down. And, Sounds like he got in. They did, you know, obviously found it and got him interviewed and yesterday, and he's got the job today. So, uh, you know, stuff can happen pretty quickly. And with the uh, recruiting season opening again uh, this weekend, uh, things probably have to happen quickly. Whether they will for the rest of the defensive staff, I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised.
1: Yeah, no, I wouldn't be. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised either. It's good. It's always interesting seems to be around USC uh Dan and you know you talk about recruiting in the, the top of the show the first official visit weekend is coming up um this weekend and I know Clay Helton wanted to have the whole staff in place uh by then um you know I'm I'm curious to see if it will maybe there's a spot open or two what are your thoughts on you know by you know between now today Tuesday we're taping the show and the end of the week having the staff all kind of uh filled out
2: I would think so. I I think they may have uh, been fortunate in that um, they weren't going to do anything to make it more difficult for uh, Marcus Terios and Soppa or Peter Sherman to find another job. And therefore, I think they were, you know, just very much kind of waiting for this to play out. And and you know, bang bang fashion, you know, Sunday Monday, uh, and now we here on Tuesday. It's played out, so uh I think whether that was specifically the plan or just the hope that the plan would work out like that, that's the way it's working out. I think, as you posted today, the really uh impossible question, the answer seems to be what happens with Johnny nansen as as you said, and as we all probably agreed, he might have been the one you would have said was most at risk, and here he's the uh he's the last guy standing. Uh, you know, the fact that, uh, that he can coach on offense and defense that he has coached on offense and defense, that he gives, um, you know, USC, uh, uh, you know, that, that diversity issue with uh, a Polynesian uh you know, coach and recruiter and all of that, those all, I think, come into play. But, uh, but, but I don't know how that, how that is ultimately going to play out for the, the last, uh, you know, three spots, I guess we could say right now, um, uh, and see how it goes.
1: All right. Well, let's, uh, we, we, well, let's, you want to mention, we'll mention the LA, uh, the LA, the Los Angeles, uh, NFL stuff going on because I I just did see a tweet, um, and I just there, as we're taping this, that I saw a tweet, NFL owners approve the Rams moving to Englewood according to a person who witnessed the vote. Chargers have options to join them um Hmm. so that so that's the what we were kind of waiting for um but i also and i just retweeted uh let me see it was one of the sports business journal reporters i think uh daniel kaplan said he told that he was told that usc has agreed to let two nfl teams play at the coliseum while the inglewood stadium is built so this obviously has an impact on usc if you hate the nfl or you love it whatever but it looks like at least the Rams will play in the Coliseum, and then probably the the Chargers too. You know, maybe for the next couple of years. I guess the Chargers could stay down there for another year. But um, what mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on this whole L.A. uh you know NFL <laughs> well, stuff? I'm,
2: I I think I, I I actually know somebody who uh, knows uh, Jeff Fisher, and I know that Jeff has always thought L.A. would be one of the reasons to coach at the Rams and. To, to be part of the Rams right now was the fact that LA could be in in their future. So this was no surprise, this was coming and this was going to wow. happen. I think uh, as we have talked about uh, Stan Kroenke, they were there was no way they were going the owners were going to turn him down with what he can do on his own and all the plans that he's got no matter how <clears throat> they might have viewed Inglewood versus Carson. Uh and I know this, and I think I, we had it in the War Room a number of months ago, that Dean Spanos uh, and the Chargers people came up and, and visited with USC and asked about, you know, the possibility of playing in the Coliseum. I know there's a, in the least, it right now, there's permission just for one other NFL team to play there. And I do think they have to get uh, permission to uh, adjust the lease to allow two of them to be in there. Uh, I mean, the interesting thing, if they both come next year, you basically have a situation where you have a home game every single weekend uh, when you have two teams sharing the stadium. And then you've also, you know, you've got the USC with, uh, with six home games, I guess next year because of the, uh, the neutral site, so-called neutral site in Texas for the Alabama game. But, uh, That's a lot of activity, and I think I also pointed out today that that's a lot of competition for the sports dollar in LA. And I know people say, "Oh, it worked okay last time with the you know sharing the Coliseum and the Rams and the, the and then the Raiders," but that was like mom and pop football compared to what this NFL we're talking about billions and billions of dollars that are riding on on what's going to happen here. So, uh, you know, I'm not as obviously a much more of a college football fan. I prefer the college game. Uh, I, I there's so much about it that you could prefer, but you have to admit that the NFL is going to come in here and USC doing things like, um, in trying to get $270 million to redo the Coliseum. And a lot of that's going to involve uh, private boxes and luxury suites and, you know, some kind of a seat licensing thing and all of that. And you're going to be going head to head with um, NFL people who are doing the very same thing and trying to line up. Uh, we're talking about a $1.8 billion stadium that they're saying for sure is going to go over $2, $2 billion. It'll seat 70,000 for regular games and over 100,000 for Super Bowls, for example. And, uh, you know the NFL is going to want to have Super Bowls here. That's one of the reasons they wanted to locate teams here so they could have the Super Bowl here. As kind of a regular thing. So, uh, so there's going to be a lot of competition for the, the sports dollar, uh, in LA. And uh, I think if, if USC, you know, gets its act together, no problem. They'll always be, you know, if you've got a great team, you've got a great program, uh, you know, if you're winning football games, if you're nationally relevant, uh, you'll be fine in LA, no matter what the competition. But if you're not, it's tough. It's going to be, you know, tough. So I don't think USC has any choice at this point, but to, to make the decision. And I think, for example, with uh, USC President Max Machias now as the chairman of the uh, college football playoff managing board, uh, one would think would you know understand that you know and by the time this gets going where you know USC gets close to that six billion dollar fundraising campaign, maybe the next thing you really you know turn your attention to is um, how do you survive I mean, it's almost impossible uh, for college football big time college football to survive in major metropolitan areas. It really doesn't happen if you look around the country there's just a very few places. Where, um, where college football um, survives. If you look at last night, there's not another, there's not a pro team in the state of Alabama. There's not a pro team in the state of South Carolina. Those programs have, you know, the whole world to themselves. And USC's not. USC got. You know, there's an awful lot that's positive about being in Los Angeles, but uh, but being in Los Angeles with two pro teams and a two billion dollar new stadium. And all the stuff that's going to happen, you know, with that, uh, USC really got to be, uh, as competitive as they, as they ever have been in their, in their lives.
1: Hey, you know, real quick before I still want to jump at these questions, but real quick, what, what does it mean that Max Nikias is the head of that play? Like I, you know, what, to let people know, what does that mean for Max Nikias being the head of that playoff, uh, commission or whatever it is?
2: Well, those are basically, uh, Presidents from uh, of all the universities uh, that are, that make up the college football, you know, playoff. So they, you know, they're not the selection committee, but they're the people that kind of oversee the business decisions and oversee. You know, these are the people that would decide: do they go to eight team playoff instead of a four team playoff? I would think that they would be the people who would say in the near future. We're not going to play on, um, uh, New Year's Eve anymore, uh, with how badly their ratings tanked and, and the fact that poor, uh, ESPN, I say poor ESPN, had to refund $20 million to advertisers for the, uh, uh the semifinal games in the college football playoffs because of the people, people weren't watching them. So I think they do more of that kind of thing and they would be the, you know, deciding factor in terms of, who actually is you know are the people that are running the uh the college football playoffs like Bill Hancock and 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 those people or or maybe the makeup of the of the selection committee and all that but these are this is sort of the the uh the group that represents uh all of the universities that that essentially you're talking the power 565 these are the people that represent those people uh, for making the kind of big decisions about the future of the college football playoff committee.
1: All right. Thanks for that, Dan. Um, all right. Well, let's jump into some of these questions. First one is from John and he was talking about, um, I, I, some of the stuff he wrote is uh, out of date now because, um, Peter Sermon was hired on, but he wanted to know about the leading candidates for, uh, defensive line coach. He said, does this imply that the strongest leading candidates would be Ed Orgeron, maybe being pushed by Clancy Pendergast at Heritage Hall on Heritage Hall, or Kenichu Daisy, maybe being pushed by Clay Helton uh, to, to Clancy. What do you think about USC defensive line coaching hire?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you can see those at both ends of that. And I don't know. It's like a clash of whatever. I mean, I think everybody's tremendous. Obviously, you know, what Ed could do, what he did do, what his impact might be on the young uh Talented defensive linemen that have to get up to speed and what Ed's history, you know, has been there. Uh, the fact that USC also now needs a recruiting coordinator, uh, in one fell swoop, you could, you could handle both of those with Ed. So whether Ed's available, whether then we understand they're working on a, you know, new contract for him at LSU, they spent so much money on Dave Aranda from Wisconsin to be their, uh, you know, def- uh, Defensive coordinator, starting at 1.3 million a year, they're going to have to, uh, clearly bump Ed up and did such a good job at LSU this year. Uh, you know, is that something that can happen considering, you know, the parting of the ways here and all that? I don't think anybody knows the absolute answer to that. There are people that certainly would like to see Ed back. Uh, and obviously, uh, Kenichi Yudaisi has a future as a as a defensive line coach so that's what he, he came back as a strength guy but that's what he wants to do he had an immediate impact i don't think there's any question uh you know in the holiday bowl uh and he's a technique guy and he's a tough guy and he's a USC guy who can show these guys film and say this is how you do it and this is how we did it and we did it because we you know we stuck to our techniques and we were disciplined and we were tough and all of that kind of thing. Uh, there are a couple of other, you know, coaches out there that have USC ties. I'm not, not saying that they have to have USC ties. We've heard, we've heard some, you know, pretty good names of people with good reputations that uh, that might also be in the mix. I think the combination of maybe needing a recruiting coordinator and a, a D-line coach mix uh, makes it a little more complicated. I'm not saying that that wouldn't be. The same thing if they found a a linebacker coach that could do that or a a defensive backs coach that could do that. But, uh, but I do think that that makes it a little more complicated in terms of, uh, where the recruiting coordinator hat goes, uh, you know, going forward.
1: All right. We had a question from, uh, CS in Washington DC. Uh, I think this is kind of put to bed now, but he wanted to know about Kennedy Palamalu, possibly returning to the USC, uh, staff. He said, I wonder if you heard anything about this or whether, in your opinion, his current job is a better fit. Thanks in advance. Your hard work in keeping the Trojan family updated is always appreciated.
2: Yeah, I think for Kennedy to come back, it would have taken the, the job that was already filled, the offensive coordinator job. I mean, Kennedy had that title here underlaying, uh, you know, through the Super Bowl year, or Super Bowl, Sun Bowl year, and, uh, we all know how that, that turned out. It was a title that they, they gave him in order to bring him, uh, from the, uh, from Tennessee in the NFL, uh, but basically didn't ever get, uh, was never allowed to really have the role as defensive coordinator. And I think he always would have liked to. He was essentially the running backs coach. So, um, with that role having been filled with T Martin, uh, I just don't see that there was any way with everything else that you know gone on in the history with with Kennedy uh I don't see that there was any way of of bringing him back
1: Yeah no I agree with you it's a uh, and I I don't know if they've announced it yet but I thought he was promoted to the offensive coordinator job at UCLA right like was that
2: I'm sure that's my understanding that that, that was part of the mix that they didn't want, very similar to with T they didn't want to lose him yeah. and it'll be interesting he really wanted to do that Never gotten a chance. It'll be interesting to see how that works out at UCLA. I'll, I'll be, you know, it'll be something interesting to watch. I mean, we'll be watching it, you know, with T at USC and with, uh, with Kennedy at, uh, UCLA.
1: Alright, let's go to Percy. He said, are the hirings of Pendergast and Baxter a sign that Helton was not a fan of some of the young, inexperienced coaches that Sark brought from Washington?
2: Well, I think it was, a. Uh, a move for a little bit more, and I'm not, 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 and this is not a mean, snarky way, but, but a little more adult supervision. I don't, yeah, I think so. To some, to some extent, yes. Uh, I just think it was a, and it was a comfort level, and it was guys that you knew how they coached. I think the thing that group had going for it is, I think they performed one of the more amazing coaching jobs that I've ever seen up close. When, uh, when Lane was fired after five games. And, uh, they could have all gone south. They could have all started looking for new jobs. And they pulled together. And that was one of the, you know, the better coaching jobs. I mean, you'd give them a few more days and they'd have probably beaten Notre Dame at Notre Dame. And, uh, I just think that was a, uh, that was a, a marvelous effort by, uh, by that group with, with Ed. And, um I just think it made sense to, to bring some of that back, uh, and, um, and that's what's happening. And so, um, but it was probably, yeah, some of that, uh, move to a little bo- more, uh, maturity. I think, uh, obviously Neil, uh, Callaway gives you that same kind of thing. Guy that's been, you know, an offensive coordinator at Alabama and Georgia and Auburn and, um, uh, head coach at Alabama Birmingham and, and then part of the, you know, this really uh you know modern offense and high powered up tempo offense at Western Kentucky the last couple of years so uh yeah i think there's more of a uh a sense of uh you know kind of you know some maturity uh with guys who've been there and done that and i think that'll that'll all play out to the good you know when you walk into you know texas and AT&T stadium or whatever it is uh, uh, down there at Jerry's World and Alabama's on the other side of the field. I think, uh, you, uh, all the, um, you know, maturity in the world is, uh, you can't have too much of it and too many guys who, you know, who will feel comfortable in that situation.
1: All right. Let's, uh, let's move on. Our next question from Terry and our old buddy Terry. Uh, I noticed that many NFL offenses use both a quote unquote huddle up system and when necessary, Uh, either to change the rhythm of the plays or, in the hurry-up offense, use the no huddle. However, to me, it seems that at the college level, it's discussed as an either-or choice. It's been my observation that the offenses of tough running teams mostly use the huddle and go with the quarterback under center, while also being able to change pace by going to a no huddle. Dan, does a college coaching staff have the time to efficiently teach and practice an offensive scheme that incorporates both the huddle and no huddle schemes from Tarion.
2: Well, I think that's one of the benefits of, of what happened with Sark. I mean, it's easy to say, oh, the, the whole Sark era didn't play out so well, but they can do that. I think they this is a team, this is an offense, that, the way they've practiced the last couple of years, I think they can, they can certainly do both. And uh, next year might be a, a, the perfect time to be able to do both. Uh, so, I mean, I think you saw, Clemson trying to take advantage of that uh, and not, you know, going no huddle and not substituting and making Alabama uh, keep their defense on the field, trying to wear them out. I know uh, what it was that Ohio State did that last year against Alabama in the playoffs and uh, ran a lot of bubble screens and went to, you know, one side of the field and the other side of the field and kept converting on third downs and kept the Alabama uh, defense on the field. And that made it really, you know, difficult. But then, you know, there are times when you get the lead and you you load up and uh you huddle up and you, you run power stuff. And um, I, I think if you can do that, and I think the fact that USC has been doing that, uh it, it, I don't know how much time you're talking about if you would just go into a season and say, we're going to, you know, start doing this. We haven't been doing it, but we'll start. But this team, I don't think, has to do that. So... I think that's one of the, you know, the benefits of having gone through some of the offensive things that they've gone through, uh, you know, with Sark and, and Clay and, and, you know, that they can do that.
1: All right. Uh, Eric and Downey, it's kind of a piggyback to some of the other questions. I'll get your thoughts on it too. I wanted to read it at least. He says, Hey Ryan, uh, are there any chance that USC brings in a big name defensive line coach or will he play it safe and bring in someone he knows? that none of us fans know. Thanks for the great work you guys do every week. Eric and Downey.
2: Well, I don't know that there are you know, too many big, big, big-name defensive line coaches. I you know, think Ed Orgeron is probably as big a name defensive line coach as there is in the country. So, you know, if that would happen, yeah. Um, uh, I think a couple of the others whose names we hear are names we know. And names people kind of know, uh, who are out there. And yet, I'm not sure that that's, you know, not a, almost a contradiction in terms if you go, you know, big name D-line coach. just, there aren't a lot of those guys, uh, out there. But, uh, but I think, uh, I think there's a possibility. Absolutely. Yes.
1: Okay. Uh, we have, uh, an international question. It he says, hey, Ryan, my name is Lynn from Samoa. Great job uh, on the podcast. Love the show. My question slash concern is why is Clay trying to settle with Clancy so fast? I know Clancy did a great job in 2013, but I feel that there are other great defensive candidates out there. I could throw some names out there like Joe Barry, Ken Norton, or try to get Nick Agliotti, uh out of retirement. Remember when... Remember, we are SC, and I'm sure we have the funds to lure these guys in. And maybe we can get Brady Hoke to coach our defensive line if Ed Orgeron is not coming back. Keep up the good job and fight on from the lovely island of Samoa.
2: Okay. Uh, great to hear from Samoa. Terrific job. Uh, I I really don't think um, some of those names are – I mean, I, I don't know that the NFL guys that you mentioned, uh, Joe Barry – uh you have to be intrigued by Joe Barry, no question about it. I think his family still lives in Irvine. Uh I think mean, anybody that coached at USC probably has some little bit of a tug to say, come back. I just think Joe Barry's in such a position now that and has done such a good job at at Washington that he's in the running for um um NFL head coaching jobs and I, there's no question that's what he wanted to do be a head coach and so what's the best path for him I don't think there's any question that um, probably staying in the NFL is the best uh path for him probably the same thing for Ken Norton um, uh, so I think it's not so much a matter of um uh money or whatever yes he yes could could pay and I think they they've proved that with Monty Kiffin and they were gonna do it with Ed Orgeron uh you know, before that thing, you know, blew up. But um uh, I don't know that it would be it would be money. Uh it would be just a matter of chemistry and the fit and everything going together. And um I just think a lot of it is uh the coaches' familiarity with one another, how they would work together and all of that. And I think that's gonna be more important than almost uh, than anything that's happening here. And I wouldn't downplay Clancy in terms of where Clancy fits in the, you know, horizon of, uh, of defensive coordinators, uh, that are available nationally. I think he's, uh, he's a guy that, you know, very well respected and, uh, and that USC should be, I think, you know, really pleased to have, have gotten to come back.
1: Alright. Uh, how about Marcel? He's got a question. He said it's mind blowing to me. Uh, to understand how the power brokers at USC expected Lane Kiffin to win while under extreme sanctions. And I, he sent this in before the national championship game on Monday night. Uh, your podcast has never addressed that. I've heard he had a dry personality, but it's obvious he can call plays. Saban tried to hire him before. Can you name the brokers other than Hayden who are calling the shots? Will they step forward again if Helton drops two games? Marcel in Diamond Bar.
2: Yeah, uh, and, and you know, far be from you know for me to contradict anything there, Marcel. But uh, you know, Clay was the guy calling the plays in the the Sun Bowl. It might have been the worst bowl game performance ever by the USC team. Clay was the guy that called the plays in the ten to seven loss to uh, Washington State at the Coliseum that year. Uh, you know, Clay was not a head coach. That, yeah, he proved that at, uh, you know, at the Raiders. He probably proved it at Tennessee, although might have done his best job there. Uh, in most of the years he was at USC, he, he proved that. Uh, and he did a nice job last night, no question about it. He realized, you know, all the shortcomings and the uh, potential busted coverages, especially if you throw the ball to your tight end. Uh, and as good a job as he did last night throwing the ball to the tight end, that kid had like 300 and some yards all year and got 200 and some last night and uh had no touchdowns going into that game. So you could look at that game and say, well, where the hell was he all year uh, for the guy calling the plays? And I thought, Lane, you know, Lane handled himself well. I think Lane can handle himself in that kind of limited role with a head coach like Nick Saban, who will probably tell him no much of the time where he doesn't have the responsibility of dealing with all the personalities and all the other issues, uh, you know, that are involved. Uh, In terms of his, uh, you know, job at USC, uh, I think, you know, when you say what kind of, uh, you know, chances did he have, let's face it, he was the, um, he probably had the best team in the country in 2011 by the end of the year when he figured out what not to do and figured out, you know, if I run behind Matt Khalil and, uh, and, uh, uh, Red Ellison, I don't think anybody in college football can stop us. Well, as it turned out, they couldn't, uh, wish that he had figured that out a little sooner. They wouldn't have been 10 and two. They'd have been 12 and 0. Uh, but you talk about, Oh, he didn't have any personnel. He had enough personnel to be picked number one in preseason the next year. So, I don't think the scenario that, oh my gosh, they didn't have any players, they didn't have any talent, they didn't have a shot. I mean they had uh forestalled the uh n c a sanctions for a year, and they still got the bowl ban, but they got a thirty you know person recruiting class and uh and they had they did not have the kinds of numbers issues that came along later uh so So I'm not I'm not somebody that said oh he didn't have a chance he didn't have the numbers that kind of thing I think a lot of the problems that that you know that came with that that time were were somewhat self-inflicted I will say this he brought in a lot of good assistant coaches who are now working their way back to USC so you got to give Lane that and um, you know he had his moments but uh, but. I don't think you could look at that game last night and say, oh gosh, he got this play call right for Alabama or that play call right for Alabama. Wow, he should be, you know, we should take another look at him in terms of his USC tenure. No, we shouldn't. It, his, his USC tenure was exactly the way we saw it. And it, hap- it turned out just the way, just, just the way it did. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, that, there's no going back and saying, you know, watching him last night because he got a lot of positive attention changes anything that happened at USC. And he deserves, you know, the good attention he got for what he did last night. But that doesn't change anything.
1: All right, we got a question from uh, SC Lloyd. Um, not very happy with the state of situation, uh, the situation, how it's going around at USC right now. He says, I'm still hot that Hayden hired Helton." Most assistant coaches that get promoted to head coach have pretty much been outstanding as an offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. Helton was pretty much run of the mill as a coach, so it made me sick. I believe that SC needs to replace the athletic director. I was a fan of Hayden when he played at USC. Not a great quarterback, but smart, but he is lost as an athletic director. Two bad hires at football coaches, at at football coaches, and the plans for the Coliseum are sad. Uh, he should after the NCAA uh job Paul D did on USC. Uh, he should have been fired uh for that. And then slap on the hand that Miami got for something fifty times worse uh makes him sick. That's from S. C. Lloyd.
2: Well, since there's not a question in
1: <laughs> Yeah, there wasn't a question, sorry. I don't,
2: I don't have to I don't <laughs> have to answer that, but he's not all by himself uh there. I think we'll just let you know, you have to let at this point in time you have to let the clay thing play out. And he, uh, he's had some, you know, good moments and he had moments that people can certainly second guess. And, uh, and we'll see where this goes. Uh, we'll see how he puts together this coaching staff. We'll see, uh, you know, where this team ends up. Uh, they did some of the things he said they were going to do and that they wanted to do and they didn't do some of the things they said they wanted to do and were going to do. And, uh, you know, picking it up in the middle of the year and, and being still the offensive coordinator and the play caller and the uh, the uh head coach uh, and having a staff that you didn't hire and all of that makes it, you know, the kind of thing you, you don't want to say, okay, that's the definitive judgment on who he is or how he's going to do things. I will say this, I'm not going to be one of these people who says, oh, you've got to give him a couple of years to get this. No, he's been here long enough. And he's been the interim coach long enough that I think next year they gotta hit the ground running and none of this, oh, there's an adjustment or there's no, no, none of that's gonna happen. He's gonna have enough coaches with whom he's familiar with and enough coaches who are familiar with USC to, you know, look at it and say, this is the second year and this is the year you expect it to get moving really fast in the, in the right direction. And so, Um, we'll judge it based on next year, but I don't know that you can judge it based on stuff that's really not knowable at this point.
1: Um, we had a a voicemail from our buddy, the cat man, Greg and, uh, high atop signal Hill, but buddy, it was like over two minutes long and we can't just uh, hear your rant. So like I said, keep them under a minute, but he was talking about, um, He, he thinks that the team, the Sark issue took a real big toll on the team and felt that when he got fired, that really was a straw that broke the camel's back. He said the team was emotionally tired and they didn't play with enthusiasm, moxie, and didn't have tough offensive line play. Should have, with this offense, should have scored 35 to 40 points a game. So he wants to know, do you think Kessler might have been hurt maybe in the Utah game? Uh, and that's why the offense was struggling besides the, the Sark issues that were kind of lingering.
2: Yeah, I do think those Sarkisys did linger. I don't think there was any way to get over them completely. They're just, you just can't. Uh, and the, the kids did a wonderful job trying to, to get through all that and to have it be the second time it's happened to them in their careers, many of them. Uh, and so, uh, uh, Kessler and his arm, I would guess something happened, yes. I, I It did look to me like he was flipping the ball more than just really driving through and throwing it. Uh it's not the kind of thing you ever wanna, you know, talk about or write about. Just it's one of those things if you can go out there and throw it and play. You don't wanna uh limit a kid or hurt a kid or make it more difficult for him to play, uh than it than it already is. But, you know, no one would ever say that. Uh and not that you would expect them to that if 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 you questioned me, I would have said he was adjusting uh for something uh, he didn't quite look like the same guy uh that he was as a junior, and you know that the numbers uh you know made that clear and, and he was running for his life last year as well, so it wasn't just you know necessarily breakdown and in protection you know despite the the injuries in the offensive line yeah. but uh but I I would probably agree that something didn't look exactly right with the way he ended up throwing the ball.
1: Speaking of Cody Kessler, we had Tana write in and he said I have a bone to pick with Cody Kessler. Throughout the whole year, I've been calling him Cody Captain Checkdown Kessler. He rarely threw the ball deep unless the guy was wide open. If you are a QB at USC, that means you most likely have better wide receivers than the other team's quarterbacks. Why not throw it deep? and test the opposing DBs. If USC had better athletes, why not throw a jump ball in the air and let it be our athletes versus their athletes? I feel that Cody Kessler checked down too much. To the point of checking down to a sack, uh, I I would have loved to have seen Cody throw more picks because, to me, that means he was risky and threw the ball deep. Not too many picks, though. But anyways, what are your thoughts on Cody Kessler's season? Did he play to his full potential? Did he maximize... His wide receiver's potential. That's from Tana.
2: So, uh, more picks, but not too many more. Okay. I got <laughs> A few it. more picks. You
1: know? <laughs> That's what he wants.
2: I will say this, and one of the most puzzling things about this past year is why did the USC receivers not seem to be able to create much separation? Was it, You know, was it the patterns? Is it the you know, the lack of confidence in, you know, the offensive line and in the running backs to be able to, you know, give you the the protection. Was it any kind of a, an issue throwing the ball? Uh, I think it was a combination of things, but uh there didn't seem to be the trust factor to just let it go and um, you know, take that chance. Uh, and, and very often you know, when you had guys uh deep, and maybe they just missed them as a couple of times that happened in the Wisconsin game, they weren't open by much. I mean, they, those were uh, just, you didn't see them missing those really open, you know, open throws. Uh, you didn't see them thrown to the tight end, which uh, as Alabama showed last night, it could be a really good thing to do. And you didn't see him, you know, throwing a lot of stuff over the middle, which uh, uh, Deshaun Watson, I thought, did really well. Um so, why those i mean we tend to personalize it I think with the quarterback, why those things happen, I think we have to you know take a a wider look at all the people involved, you know from the offensive line to the um uh, passing game coordinator and the quarterbacks coach and the offensive coordinator and all the all of the people, you know, that are involved in that, you know, you had, uh, Juju, for example, you know, comes up hurt and he's the guy that, that gets so much of the attention. So now you can't quite go to him as much. Um, and the guys, I think finally you got Darius, uh, you know, Roger stepped up, but, uh, you had other guys who you would have liked to be able to throw to more, but, you know, they maybe cut off their patterns. A couple of the interceptions were, you know, on players where, Somebody would have been open and Cody anticipated they were going to be open and they decided not to run their pattern all the way through. And instead of, you know, getting a, you know, getting a catch, the, uh, you got an interception. So there, there wasn't the trust level on the offense, uh, throwing the ball that there really needed to be. And, uh, that's, uh, I don't, I would never just say that's on Cody.
1: All right, uh, let's move on. JJB says, great show. I love it. Clay Helton may uh, may turn out to be a great coach, but I don't think that he was the best choice. USC has an instability problem right now. Assistant coaches look at this program and say that it's unstable. Uh, they have to be asking themselves, if I go there, will I still be there two years from now? Recruits will have to be asking, am I going to have two or three head coaches in my four or five years at USC? What they needed was a big name proven winner. The name alone would bring stability back to the program. The main thing now should be to bring stability back to the program and then everything else will fall into place. You don't bring stability back to an unstable program by hiring a question mark as your head coach. Didn't Pat Hayden know that, Uh JJB?
2: You know, it almost doesn't matter what he knew and it almost doesn't matter uh whether you think he's a question mark or not. He is the question mark now. He's the guy. Yeah. And so we can do this from now until, you know, the kickoff, September 3rd. Uh, but I'm not sure what the point is. Uh, Clay Helton's a coach. Been told he's got a five year contract. Uh, I think there's no, nothing else to do at this point, but say, let's get it right, Clay. Get it right. Yeah, you've got a lot of opportunities there's a lot of things to deal with um usc is a great place to get it right and all we can do is encourage you to get it right because uh you know focusing on the athletic director and the options and and all of that those are gone that's over done with uh and there's no there's nothing positive i think that could come out of uh, you know, constantly going over and over and over and over that. I mean, uh, they talk about when you get beat, there's a 24 hour rule. Heck, when you win, there's a 24 hour rule and you get past it, you get over it. And I think for USC fans, that 24 hour rule has to have kicked into place by now. Plays the coach, deal with it and you're not going to change it and it ain't going to make you feel any better. Uh, so. You just have to hope that, uh, this is, uh, this is the way that, that USC needed to go. And, you know, be, be as supportive as you can wherever you can. For example, if you think Clancy's a really good defensive coordinator, then you pick that out and say, wow, okay, maybe we wouldn't have gotten Clancy, uh, had, you know, had Clay not been the coach or whatever. But I think there are ways you can, you know, come up with, uh, ways to find yourself supporting and, and backing the team. And I, th- I think you kind of got to do, if you're a fan of USC football, you got to find the places where you can be positive uh, you know, positive and supportive and happy about what's happening.
1: And I think our, our next uh, emailer is one of those guys, Wally in Seattle. So I wanted to kind of give you the back and forth of one, one uh, side or the other. And he writes in and saying, love the show, guys. Hope we Trojans can stop complaining about the hire and give Clay, uh, Clay the support, and a chance to get his people and program in place. I think he'll do fine. College football is competitive, and we will not win all the games. Lots of turmoil around the program the last five years. Hoping that's over. We've got great players already, top-notch pedigree, and a great recruiting class coming in. I like the staff he's putting together, especially uh, having Clancy uh, Clancy Pendergast back. I think we are in the hunt for the Pac-12 championship in 2016. What kind of record... Do you guys think we'll have in 2016? All things considered, thanks and fight on, Wally in Seattle.
2: Wally, I mean, good sentiments. Uh, for me, that's a bad question. I just am not gonna. I, I'm trying to pick records at this point in time. Uh, I, I, I just don't see that. I mean, if you look at the Pac-12 South, Tennessee's in a pretty good place there. I don't, I don't think there's any question. USC's overall um, schedule: They play three teams that are in the way too early top ten—Alabama, uh, Stanford, and Notre Dame. They play three more teams that are in the top 25 in the way too early. In uh, let's see, Washington and uh, USC. Excuse me, Washington, UCLA, and Oregon. So that's six ranked teams. I, I, I mentioned today that they play eight guys that are in the top 25 list of Heisman possibilities for next year. So this is going to be a walk in the park. I don't think there's any question about that. But, uh, uh, you know, it's a chance to, to show what they can do. And uh, it's not an easy schedule, but it's not one that if they come back with the talent they have, and they come back ready to play. You know, if this were one of those, this team with, with uh, you know, the, the way they approached some of those Pete Carroll years, you'd be licking your chops and saying, man, we're going to have a chance. This is what you'd be saying if you're a USC fan. We're going to have a chance to really take it to some people and show them this is going to be fun. And I think we've gotten away from that, and, and a lot of that had to do with obviously the NTA sanctions and the numbers and the upset about not defending, you know, themselves and the uh, poor coaching choices and all those kinds of things. But I think it's time to get over that. We're, we're past that. And uh, I think it's, you know, it's at the point where you look at the opportunities. You look at the, you know, it's that glass half full uh, situation going forward and you say, wow, this is going to be fun. This team can compete. And I think it can. I don't think there's any question. This team can compete. Will it? Well, you know, we don't we don't know, but they've got a chance to be able, you know, to compete against this schedule, and that's all you can ask for at this point. Uh, I think I'd probably rather have, you know, the talent that USC has than almost anybody they play. Um, I mean, I'm not sure that, you know, Do you look at, you know, top ten teams like Stanford and Notre Dame, are they more talented? coming into next year than USC? I don't really think so. I don't think we know anything, you know, about exactly where Alabama's going to be. But uh, USC's got a chance. I don't think there's just no doubt about that. Uh, but they, they don't have a chance if everybody thinks they're not any good and they don't think they're any good and everybody thinks that, you know, they won't be able to handle all the, you know, all the, the difficulties that, that are coming up. Uh, I think you got to have that sense of, you know, this
1: is a, a team and a program uh, that can do it. We'll see. We definitely will. All right. We got two more. Uh, Manny wrote in and he said, uh, he wanted to get his email read right, right on the podcast. It's really long. So I'll give you the, the kind of some bullet points from it. So he's first said, I'm a, a USC alum from 1982, an even longer a Trojan fan. Um, and his three kind of points were, he wanted to know if he thought the USC offense is too complicated. Watching Clemson and Baylor, it seems like they run uh the same two or three running plays over and over again with a lot of success. He wanted to know about the dual threat quarterback. It's becoming more and more valuable in college. And also, is USC going to continue to recruit uh fullbacks? So those were the kind of three points that he wanted to make in his uh email and maybe get your thoughts on those, Dan.
2: Yeah, I mean I think it it was more complex than they could run or execute whether that means it was too complex or wasn't taught well enough or wasn't schemed well enough or wasn't called well enough i don't think we know uh but i'd like to see it more basic i was hoping you know that that would be the case in the holiday ball that didn't seem to be the case when they could only run the ball for 65 yards so i think that has to happen where they have to that you know if they're going to throw the ball they're going to get that, you know, that guy blocked. They're going to get the uh, uh, the running back is going to be able to, you know, give that quarterback the time to throw the ball. Uh, you have to know that they're going to be able to block at the point of attack. I mean, it's just unbelievably frustrating to see two guys, neither one of them block somebody, you know, two offensive linemen, neither one of them block the guy that's in the, uh, you know, in the hole. I mean, it's just, you can't do that. So that has to change. No question about it. The dual threat quarterback, I mean, I think the team without the dual threat quarterback won last night. So I think, I mean, it's nice to have a guy with great escape ability. And I thought obviously Deshaun Watson is fabulous. And, uh, you know, the kid that, the, the converted, uh, cornerback at Houston is a great, you know, escape artist and all of that. But, uh, you know, you don't always have that ability and, and UFC hasn't, hasn't been that kind of a team. Uh, I think, you ought to be good enough if you're USC to be able to win with a with a with a Peyton Manning type quarterback or a Tom Brady type quarterback or a Carson Palmer type quarterback. I think those guys have the ability to you know to give you a chance or an Aaron Rodgers type quarterback. I mean, I'm not sure which one of those is the dual threat. Uh, but if you can block it and you can run it with other people and you got a guy that can throw it on time and on target, uh, you still got a pretty good chance. So it's, you know, at times it's, a, it's nice to have that, you know, Deshaun Watson, but, uh, but those just aren't available. Russell Wilson is great, but, you know, would you rather have him over the four that I just mentioned? I'm not sure. He's, he's really good. Yeah. Uh, and then the, uh, the last question, uh, fullback. I don't know. Are there fullbacks anymore that you recruit? I mean, I, I I don't mind the idea of of converting. I mean, I thought Rhett I thought the absolutely the best thing Lane Tiffin ever did at USC was making sure Rhett Ellison became uh, uh, an H back. At the point of attack, and that you you know got him as the Minnesota Vikings were using him uh, to do the same thing, and he's been tremendously successful in the NFL doing that. Uh Those would be I'd like to find those guys, and it, you may not have fullbacks. Uh, I just don't know that there are recruitable fullbacks in high school football anymore. Those basically are people that end up you know as a fullback type guy, but it would be hard to imagine that they go forward without something like that because basically uh you know they started a fullback every game the last couple of years and uh you know between uh uh, uh pinner and um and soma uh you know there were fullbacks blocking backs on the field a lot so they're going to have to figure out a way to to do that you know some of the tight end situation gets squared away Maybe uh maybe there and I've even, you know, seen people talk about if you wanted to go into the kind of you know, jumbo package uh with uh, you know, say a la Stanford, uh do you bring say if he, you know, health wise comes back, uh is that a place for a guy like a Chad Wheeler? Um uh I don't know, but I think they do have to handle and figure out what do they do to block power. Uh, no question. You may not recruit fullbacks, but you still gotta block power.
1: Alright. Thanks for that one, Manny. And, uh, thanks for writing in. Hope you can send some more questions in the future. We got one last one for you, Dan. We'll let you go. I know it's a busy, crazy night. Uh, Lloyd from Corona. He said, ESPN has a story about Alabama's strength and conditioning and how, uh, it might have helped them stay healthy. I look at all the injuries at USC and, uh, is it because they don't work them hard enough? Look at how, uh, Clay Helton would baby them when they were getting ready for the bowl game. I don't know about the babying them, but, uh, the last few, uh, yeah, last few, I, he didn't say last few anything. I don't know if he's talking about years or weeks or months. The last few they weren't easy on because of the numbers. Uh, I like mean, it's probably about last, last few years, I guess. Uh, but he really needs to toughen them up. SC coaches should look at a, a team like Alabama. They said Alabama had some of the hardest practices getting ready for their bowl game. I would like your opinion on that. That's Lloyd and Corona.
2: Yeah, I think that has to change this uh, winter. And I do think uh, the culture changed with the NCA scholarship and with the uh, back-to-back coaches who were very much into play design and schemes and were much more cerebral types, and, and maybe didn't always value uh, the line coaches, for example, uh, and that kind of thing. And, and with the numbers and what have you, you saw practices looking more and more like NFL practices, where you know you expected the 30-year vet, you know, 30-year-old guys who were veterans to be able to get themselves ready physically on their own. Week after week and they just had to get their timing and that, well that doesn't happen with the 19, 20 year old guys. You gotta really, I think, get them into the mode of this is how we're gonna play, this is the speed, the tempo, this is the physicality, all of that. Uh, it was disappointing, I think, the, 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 the holiday bowl work, the, the not using all the practices and, and having just one, uh, in full pads. I, I, I thought that was a mistake with a, an opponent like a Wisconsin that was definitely hitting and definitely going to hit and definitely going to be that kind of a physical challenge. So we'll see where this goes. I think this has to change. USC has to figure out how to get this right. They're not you know, going to fall back on, on numbers. I'm not sure that strength and conditioning necessarily plays into whether you're injured or not injured. I mean, a, a guy like Max Turk was is, is strong and, Athletic and conditioned and all of that and, you know, he gets an ACL. Uh, same with Toa, you know, to say that, oh, it's, uh, you know, a flaw in the program. Are there, you know, programs like Sanford that do things that other people aren't doing? I think there are. And I think you've gotta, you know, do as much of that and be as cutting edge as you possibly can in terms of, of how you practice and how you recover from injuries and all of that. But, uh, but, uh, But I'm not sure they're ever going to quite go to the Alabama model where the Alabama strength and conditioning coach is paid $600,000 a year. The retiring president at the University of Alabama makes $575,000 a year. I'm guessing the USC strength and conditioning coach is probably not going to make more money than the president. Just a guess. Uh, Alabama does a lot of things well. Although, let's face it, the USC athletic director gets paid three times, no, four times as much as the Alabama president. So, take that for whatever you will. <laughs> um, you know, we, you know, play around with these numbers. Uh, I think USC's doing more. They've got more. You know, they compared, for example, the uh, support staffs at $2.5 million to $3 million each for the uh, Clemson and Alabama in the, in the championship game. And I think there are some things USC could do there. And, uh, I think they need to make an all-out commitment. I don't know that they've got to make the Alabama commitment. Uh, but, uh, I think there are some advantages USC has that Alabama doesn't have. And they probably have to do some things in Tuscaloosa that you don't have to do here. Uh, but, uh, but I think they've got to make a commitment to compete as, as hard and with the, everything that they've got. And, uh, and we'll see if, if, and I think a lot of that is, is going to be Clay. Can he push it to that point and, and drive them to the point that, you know, that this is a USC program that nothing less than being absolutely the best you can be. And in USC's case, the best you can be is, is, is to be in those playoffs to, to be the Pac-12 champ. And, uh, and I think that has to be the goal for next year. And, uh you know, you have to do the things that you have to do to get there. And, uh, we'll see how that, you know, that, that kind of a commitment, uh, you know, works out. But, uh, but I think that commitment has to be there. Uh, but you don't have to be Alabama, although it'd be nice to beat Alabama, and I think, uh, that has to be the goal as well. You just don't have to do it the way. I mean, to be honest, when, when Pete was here, people at Alabama had, they'd never won a Heisman Trophy, for example, ever in history. And when USC won three in four years, you know, with, with Carson and, um, and Matt and Reggie, they went crazy. I mean, the whole thought of, they, they were convinced USC must be doing something that's so out of bounds to be able to do that when Alabama and the entire history of their program hadn't won a single Eisman Trophy. And so, you know, they made some commitments and the NTA made some commitments for them. And that's what's happened for the last decade. And, and that's been the, you know, the, that kind of you know scenario has been playing out that's made life really really difficult for usc football but we're past that point and now they have, usc's job is to make life difficult for anybody they play and they get the chance to start with alabama and that's probably the perfect place to start
1: all right well dan great stuff we we'll hit about an hour with not bad for the off season we'll have Plenty more stuff coming on. Thanks for all the questions everyone sent in. Lots of good stuff there, and Dan, thanks for all the
2: answers. Very good, and uh, good questions. Uh, and now, uh, starting uh, from now on, a little more upbeat. We need a we need an upbeat here uh, uh, as we go through the winter workouts and spring practice, and you know, put that picture of Alabama uh, and Nick Saban on your wall and kind of throw darts at it and all that. But really. Uh, I don't think there's anything to be totally down in the dumps about, about USC football. You can have questions like we all do, but, uh, I don't think it's, you know, worth being, well, read some of the posts on the first style and <laughs> you can see it's not that bad. Really do not jump. You know, it's not worth jumping, you know, out of a building at this point in time. I think there's a chance. And, uh, uh, I would tell you if I didn't think there was, and, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll
1: see. All right. Well, Dan, thanks again, and everyone else, thanks so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We'll talk to you next time. you might do a uh, recruiting podcast still later in this week. We'll check on that because uh, you got the big official visit weekend coming up this weekend, but for now, here's our quick re- uh, message from our sponsor, Michael Moline Real Estate.
0: estate transaction. Michael Moline Real Estate has industry expertise to help you with both your real property and your personal property as you get ready to transition. Michael Moline Real Estate specializes in properties located on the west side of Los Angeles and the southern San Fernando Valley communities. Allow Michael Moline Real Estate to give you a free comparative market analysis and home valuation so you know how much your home is worth today. Contact Michael Moline at michaelmolinerealestate.com. That's Michael M-O-L-I-N-E Estate.com.